Hi, I'm Robin Black and this is Robin Thinks and today I'm going to be continuing on with uh, Love and Respect. I know last week I said that I was actually going to be wrapping up Love and Respect but um, in the last week I've just I really started uh, having a lot of thoughts about things that I realize really kind of tie into this book and so um, I'm actually not quite done with Love and Respect. I'm definitely going to be doing um, two more weeks of Love and Respect and possibly a third. Um, because there's some, one of the things that I wanted to, um, focus on or do in this podcast was not so much look at necessarily just the individual teachings in each one of these books, but these books are really based on some underlying principles in Christianity, American evangelical Christianity, American Christianity. I'm not sure. I'm not like, um, I don't come from like a Hindu background or a Buddhist background. I haven't lived in India. I haven't lived in other countries. So one thing that I do know is that American Christianity is, is extremely heavily influenced by American values, which are in turn extremely heavily influenced by European values. So I know that uh, those cultural roots play a very strong um, role in American Christianity. I know that American Christianity is very different from Christianity in other cultures because every one of those cultures is informed by their cultural values. So I can really only speak to American Christianity, but I do think that it's very important to understand that American Christianity is innately and inherently going to be very different from um, Indian Christianity or Chinese Christianity or Japanese Christianity or German Christianity um, because our religion is always going to be in some way informed and influenced by our culture. Those two things are inextricably intertwined. Um, so one of the things that I want to talk about is power and authority. And then next week, I'm <laughs> next week I'm going to tackle a really big topic that if you're female, it probably just the very word probably sort of you know makes the, the hair on the back of your neck stand up on end, and that's submission. And this is submission is a concept that I struggled with for years uh, because of how it's used in American churches. And yet the Bible does actually talk a lot about submission. So submission is one that's really hard to unentangle um, American male values around what submission means and what I think it actually means. So I'm going to talk about that one next week. But first, I want to talk about power and authority. And obviously this ties in very strongly with love and respect. Um, one of the things that I talked about earlier about love and respect is we have this tendency to believe that because we're all speaking English and using the same words, the words mean the same things. And one of the things that I've had a ten I've noticed is that uh, men in power and particularly religious authorities love to hide behind language. So they use these words that sound very simple and benign, but they use them in such a way that the picture that they use them to create is not uh, benign 
in any way, shape, or form, okay? And so they talk a lot about power and authority. They talk about God-given authority. But the one thing that, the, that you'll almost never hear them talk about is responsibility or accountability, okay? And I think what you'll find, and this is where all the damage and this is where all the destruction comes from, is that it's almost like this never-ending quest to have power and authority without responsibility. And I personally do not believe that men were ever intended to have power and authority without responsibility. That's where you always get into trouble. And what I think is really kind of funny, sad, or ironic, I'm not sure, you know, it's one of those three things. It's kind of a little bit of all of them is that um, the way that our government, like our national government is set up is actually really healthy. It's why we have maintained like pretty, you know, strong stability for 250 years. And even with everything that's going on right now, even with all of the political upheaval, um, our government is, is standing pretty strong and our government is standing pretty firm. And that is because it is set up well. And what's, again, kind of sad or ironic or funny, I don't know, you know, I go through a range of emotions when I think about it. Sometimes I want to laugh, sometimes I want to cry, is that our churches, our churches would be a lot healthier if they were set up more like our government. And so what's interesting is, you know, I, of course, like many people, was raised to believe that, you know, we're a Christian nation and, you know, the founding fathers were Christians. Um, and that's why, you know, we have such a good government or whatever. Um, but I think by far one of the most important uh, principles that we have in America that saves all of our bacon is the separation of church and state. The interesting thing is what churches have not had that our founding fathers figured out was a really important aspect of um, keeping a government honest, so to speak, is a free press, right? That's literally written into our constitution that that we need to have a free press. It is important for um, to keep a government from being cor uh, corrupt or corrupted. You have to have um, open investigation into our government. And then, you know, to that end, we also have the freedom of speech where if you call out corruption in the government, you can't be thrown in jail for it. These are so important. And what we're finding out in our churches, ironically, what's happening is um, we have not had any kind of equivalent of a free press in our churches. Social media is changing that. One of the big reasons that we were able to have a Me Too and even more importantly, perhaps a Church Too movement is because of social media, because churches do not control social media. And so you, you have this, like what became a national platform for whistleblowers, for women to actually be able to step up and say, um, we have been abused. We are being abused. There is corruption in our churches. And it was a platform that churches do not have control over. And so what social media did is social media essentially gave us the equivalent of a free press um, in regards to churches. And so this is where um, 
we're not quite there yet, but I think coming up, um, we're going to see a lot of church reform. They're going to have to. The church is going to have to reform because social media is not going away and churches don't have the ability to shut up the abused, basically. And, and uh, what's happening is, you know, we have more and more podcasts like Bodies Behind the Bus and um, A World of Difference where Lori Adams Brown shared her story. We have, uh, you know, podcasts and social media are creating a platform whereby victims are able to tell their stories in such a manner that church, churches have no control. Churches can't shut them down. Uh, and this is so critically important. And this is what we haven't had in the church before. The church has had the ability to silence victims. But thanks to social media and podcasts and all these different um, platforms that the church does not control, victims are able to tell their stories. Victims are able to get their stories out and be heard. So Again, when I'm when I'm deconstructing these books, it's not just necessarily about these individual books. I'm using each of these books as more of an example of a number of the underlying principles that they're based upon, which are really unhealthy. Okay, so um, one of the you know aspects about love and respect is that uh, Emerson Egrix never actually defines what does it mean to respect and yet as I talked about if you look at if we go back to the Bible and we look at what does the Bible say about love love is patient love is kind it does not envy it does not boast it is not proud it does not dishonor others it is not self-seeking it is not easily angered it keeps no record of wrongs love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth it always protects always trusts always hopes always perseveres okay so again and again and again um there's no prescriptions jesus never says women do this men do that he says love the lord your god with all your heart strength soul and mind and your neighbor as yourself okay and that's not there's there's no there's no gender in that. There's no gender bias in that. There's no, he never instructs women do this, men do this. And yet, you know, when you look at Christian culture, there's so much men are this, women are that. Men are this, women are that. Okay. Um, so the truth is we should all, not just, not just men, not just women, not just wives, not just husbands, we should all be treating each other with love and with respect. In fact, respect would inherently be a component of love because it says um, love does not dishonor others. So that means that love would respect, we would, we would treat each other with dignity and compassion. Okay. Um, but then when, when you start to dig down, so he never really defines, you know, what is love and what is respect. Um, but when you start to dig down into uh, what he encourages men to do and what he encourages women to do, that's when you start getting into a lot of um, a very different interpretation of the word respect. And very often respect, when you look in Christian culture and in churches, very often respect is just a code for obey. In other words, uh, there's a there's an unspoken command that you have to obey 
the person that you respect, that obedience is the outcome of respect, okay? But obedience would also imply authority over. And this is, this is like the, the critical sort of word or phrase that you always want to pay very careful attention to, which is authority over. And that's what I want to talk about today. Who has authority over? And in most churches, uh, you will hear or learn or um, sometimes they don't come right out and say it. Sometimes they do just right flat out say it. Sometimes they dance around and try and, you know, cover it in other language. But ultimately, it, it, this is really sort of the crux of the matter right here is um, who has authority over? What do they have authority over? Who actually has the right to have authority over anyone or anything else, okay? And once again, this is all gonna tie back into responsibility because that's what you always have to look at. When people are like, oh, I have, uh, we have God-given authority. You'll hear that in the church all the time. God-given authority. Oh, I have the God-given authority to do this or I have the, you know, God, um, this is God-ordained. In other words, I'm not just taking authority on myself. God has given me this authority. I would argue that no man has authority except that which we give them. Okay. So it's, it's kind of a, it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. What ends up happening is in church, you hear that men have God-given authority. And what ends up happening is when we don't question that and we don't challenge that, what ends up happening is we give them authority because they are telling us that God has given them authority. So that in the end, they do end up having authority, but it's not because God gave them authority. It's because we give them authority because they are telling us that God gave them authority and we just don't question it. We don't challenge it. And that is part of the problem. So this is why this is such an important like issue to talk about is do men really get their authority from God? Do pastors get authority from God? Does a Mormon prophet or a um, Catholic priest, uh, a Pope, do they actually have authority from God or do they actually not have any authority except that which we give them. Okay. And I would argue it's the latter. I would argue that none of those men have any authority except that which we give them. Okay. So I want to talk about the difference between having authority and having authority over and, and, and where sort of the bounds of that extend. Okay. Um, there is, as far as I am concerned, there's pretty much one and only one situation in which, uh, one like person or, or group of people or, um, whomever, uh, has authority over, and that is parents have authority over their children. Okay. And here's why they have authority over their children is because parents pay the consequences for their children's 
choices, right? Now that's not 100% accurate because, you know, if a parent is being irresponsible and negligent and a child, you know, falls and breaks their arm, it's still the child's arm that is broken, right? But it's the parent that has to take them to the hospital. It's the parent that has to pay the bills or ultimately there is a high degree of responsibility that the parent ends up taking, which is why parents have authority over their children. Because in the end, um, in most situations, the parent is actually going to pay more of the consequences for the child's actions than the child themselves does. And again, there's certainly exceptions to that. Obviously, there are massive differences in, you know, how well parents are actually parenting or not parenting. But bottom line is the reason parents have authority over children is because theoretically they are taking responsibility for those children, which is why they have authority over, okay? But this is a really important thing to understand because what's also happening is that people grow up and they become adults and they start taking responsibility for themselves. But when we don't understand why it is that parents have authority over children in the first place, if we don't understand what it is that gives parents authority over their children, then they never relinquish that authority. We have grown adults walking around, sometimes well into their 30s and 40s, um, that have parents that still treat them as if they are children living under their roof. Like this is a a fairly um, common thing for parents to say, right? Like not under my roof, or you won't do that as long as you're living under my roof, okay? There's a reason for that that saying, and and it actually bears some weight. But what's happening is, You have parents that aren't giving up their authority even when, even after their children move out from under their roof. And this is a very important thing to understand. So now let's talk about churches and then we're going to tie that right back into Love and Respect, this book, and in fact, all the the Christian books that we're going to talk about, okay? What happens is you have pastors or you have religious leaders that want to claim this idea that they have authority over or that they have God-given authority over. Let's talk about what authority they do have. Let's talk about what authority they don't have and why it's so important for you to understand this, okay? Um, Churches and church leadership have taken on a certain responsibility, which is that When we talk about a church today, we're generally talking about a group of people that meet in a certain building. Now, sometimes they own that building, sometimes they don't. Sometimes uh, they might uh, meet in a school, right? But if they meet in a school or or some other meeting space, usually what happens is every week they still have to, they have to show up, they have to, um, you know, a lot of times there'll be some kind of setup, whether it's chairs, whether it's sound equipment, audio, visual equipment, Uh, whatever it might be, there's usually like a lot of work involved every week in transforming a space into a church space, okay? Um, And it's usually pastors that have responsibility for that. So pastors have responsibility for the church. They have to make sure that all of that happens every week. And so to that end, 
because the pastor has so much responsibility for what happens in the church, that is what gives him or her authority. They have authority because they take responsibility. Kind of the same thing if you have a church that owns a building, right? The mortgage has to be paid. Uh, the building has to be cleaned. They, they're, the property taxes have to be paid. Uh, a landscaping company might need to be hired. Or uh, if they don't landscape, you know, there might be volunteers at the church that do like regular maintenance or cleaning. But one way or another, all of that has to be coordinated, okay? And more often than not, it's a pastor that takes responsibility for that. Sometimes it's an elder board. Um, sometimes it might be like a committee that works with other committees. Um, different churches work different ways. But ultimately what it comes down to is whoever has responsibility for like the running of that church has authority over that, right? They have authority because they take responsibility. It's the taking of responsibility that gives you authority. This is why parents have authority over their children because parents are the ones that take responsibility for them, okay? Sometimes parents abdicate their responsibility, right? Sometimes parents stop taking care of their children for whatever reason, and then what happens? They lose authority. They get their children taken away, right? When you abdicate responsibility, you lose authority. When you take responsibility, you uh, get authority. Now, what happens is, in a lot of cases, people are given responsibility for things that they don't have authority over, okay? And I'm actually going to talk about that a little bit more in a second, but I want to get to the, the flip side of that. So pastors or church leaders, sometimes it's the elder board, they have authority in the church because they take responsibility for the church. And when I'm talking about the church here, I'm talking about the building, okay? So they do have authority over the building and what happens in that building because they take responsibility for the building. What happens, however, is that too many pastors and elder boards and other religious leaders try to take authority over things they are not taking responsibility for, which is what? the people. That includes me and you. So for instance, they might say, um, you know, ladies, when you're here at church, uh, please dress this way or that way or what have you. Okay. In the church, like in that one space for that one period, like that one hour or whatever. Okay. That's actually within their purview, but it's very important for people to understand that a pastor has authority over a building and what happens in the building because he takes responsibility for the building. That does not mean he takes responsibility for you. The more someone takes responsibility for you, the more authority they have over you. And this is a really important dynamic to understand. So let's say you're a wife and 
um, you're taught that it's your, it's your job, it's your duty. You have to respect your husband, okay? So he comes home one day and he says, honey, um, I've decided I'm going to start a business and I'm going to drain our 401k, okay? Unfortunately, what most churches would tell you and, and like if you took what you might call like a plain reading of Emerson Egrick's book, what he's essentially advocating for and what too many churches advocate for is that's your husband. He's the head of the home. And so he it's his duty or job or right to make decisions. And so you just have to respect his decision, which is code for you have to obey him. Okay. Now let's say you've been married to your husband for a while and let's say that you know that your husband this person that you married has a very strong tendency to uh you know go off on tangents or rabbit trails or chase rabbits uh maybe they don't you know maybe the job that they have right now they've had it for maybe two or three years which is the longest they've ever had a job and maybe you think they're doing really well and then they come home one day and they say i'm going to drain my our four hour I'm going to drain our 401k and, you know, buy this business. Doesn't consult you, doesn't talk to you. If you follow Emerson Egrick's advice or if you follow your pastor's advice and you let your husband drain your 401k and start his business and he go, you know, he, he goes bust, he goes out of business, has to declare bankruptcy, you lose your home your pastor is not going to be homeless with you. Emerson Egrix is not going to be homeless with you. See, here's the problem with these books. When someone follows Emerson Egrick's advice and it works out well for them or it, it causes sort of positive changes in their relationship, it's really easy to go, oh, this book changed my life. It was great. It was wonderful. Okay, cool. What happens when it doesn't? What happens when just simply respecting your husband gives him more and more and more freedom? And with that freedom, he just becomes more and more and more abusive until one day it lands you in the hospital. Emerson Egrix isn't going to end up with his nose broken. Emerson Egrix isn't going to pay your hospital bills. Your pastor isn't going to pay your hospital bills. This is the thing that you have to understand is that no one, and I mean no one, should have authority in your life that is not going to take responsibility for the outcomes of your choices. At the end of the day, the only person that is going to pay the consequences of your choices is you. That being said, you will also pay the consequences of your spouse's choices, right? Emerson Egrix is not going to pay the consequences of your spouse's choices. Your pastor is not going to pay the consequences of your spouse's choices. But again, um, choosing to just simply obey your spouse, choosing to not push back against your spouse that comes home one day and announces that he's going to drain your 401k, that is your choice. You made a choice not to push back. 
you made a choice to listen to your pastor or your pastor's wife or Emerson Egricks or whoever it is that's telling you that you just have to obey your husband, that you just have to let him make decisions and then you just have to support those decisions and trust God. Okay, because that's what it always comes down to is the, the problem is they'll take all the kudos if something that they say causes a positive change in a marriage. They're not going to take responsibility when your marriage goes down in flames. They're going to pass the buck. They're going to blame it on something else. And so this is something that we have to, to be very aware of about authority. And it's our responsibility to learn these things about authority. Who gets authority and who does not get authority, okay? Because that person is not going to be paying the consequences of your choices. Same thing with, uh, you know, I deconstructed um, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. One of the things that we're finding out is that women cannot just suppress their sexuality for years and years and years and years and years and then suddenly fall in love and get married and flip it on, okay? Our sexuality is incredibly, incredibly, incredibly complicated. And we're learning so much about, you know, what ha about repressed sexuality and the, the long-term consequences and ramifications of repressed sexuality and Joshua Harris is not going to be there in your marital bed with your husband whom you cannot have sex with because you kept your sexuality on lockdown for so many years okay this is what is really important is we have to start evaluating um before we listen to these people we need to start evaluating number one what are the potential consequences? If I follow their advice, what are the potential consequences? That's the first thing we need to think about. And then the second thing we need to think about is who is going to pay those consequences? Okay? If it's not going to be them, then you need to be very, very, very careful about listening to them. They only have authority if you give them authority. And the way you give them authority is you listen to them. So you go to a church and the church, uh, the pastor is talking about how you have to respect your husband. And by respect your husband, what he means is you have to obey your husband. And by obey your husband, what he means is when your husband makes a decision, you have to get behind him and support him. You don't argue with him. You don't challenge him. You get behind him and you support him, right? Once again, what's the problem with that? If you listen to your pastor, it means you're giving your pastor authority. But the problem is you're giving him authority for something that he is not going to take responsibility for. So when your husband drains your 401k, and goes bankrupt, I don't think that your pastor is going to come along and bail you out financially. When you let them tell you what to do, you're giving them authority. But the problem is, 
we give way too many people authority in our lives that are not going to take responsibility for the outcomes of those choices. So um, here's here's a, an example that a lot of people have probably run into. Um, most people have been at work, let's say, where their boss has told them to do something that is going to have a consequence, right? Now, some people will just do it assuming that if things go bad, their boss will take responsibility. And a lot of times they find out that's not the case. Most people have been in some situation where somebody told them to do something, they did it, and then there was a a negative outcome, and what happened? They got thrown under the bus. The person that should have taken responsibility didn't. The person that took authority on themselves to tell you what to do took the authority, but then when things went bad, they didn't take responsibility. Okay, here's another example. Here's a more tangible example. Let's say that you're someone's uh, personal assistant or your boss tells you, um, I'm in a hurry. I need, let's say you're driving your boss to the airport and your boss tells you, I'm in a hurry. I need to get to the airport, take the toll road. Okay, what is your natural assumption? If your boss is telling you to take the toll road, then you're going to assume that your boss, when that toll comes due, your boss is going to pay the toll, right? Not necessarily. This world is full of all kinds of people that will tell you to do things without wanting to take responsibility when things go bad. As soon as things go bad, you go back and you say, hey, I need you to take responsibility for this. They'll be like, why? You'll be like, well, because you told me to do it. And they'll be like, nope, not taking responsibility. Okay, this is why it's really important to, it's called counting the cost. It's a biblical principle. The Bible tells us to count the cost. Before we make decisions, before we take action, we need to count the cost. But in addition to counting the cost, you need to ask the question, who is going to pay it? Okay, it's fine to take the toll road if you say, um, are you going to reimburse me for the toll? And if they say yes, then you take the toll road. But I think if you ask, are you going to reimburse, like sometimes it doesn't even occur to them that somebody has to pay the toll and it shouldn't have to be you. So there's all kinds of situations in life where before we take that, before we do what someone tells us to do, we have to clarify, okay, but who is going to pay for this? Who is going to pay the consequences for this? Too often in churches, the wisdom or the advice or the paradigm is to protect marriages at all costs literally at all costs but here's the problem they are not paying the cost you are paying the cost it doesn't cost them anything to tell you you need to stay with your husband no matter what that doesn't cost them anything it costs you something So this is a question that we need to start religiously asking ourselves. If I follow your advice, number one, what are the potential consequences for following your advice? And number two, who is going to pay those consequences? Because here's the thing, if you're the person that's going to be paying the consequences, then you're the person that needs to be making the decision and you need to be making that decision for yourself. No one should be making decisions 
for you unless they will be um, or and are capable of paying the consequences for that decision. And that doesn't matter whether it's, um, you know, should I stay a virgin until I'm married? Should I date this person? Should I not date this person? Should I let my husband drain our 401k? Whatever it is, all of those choices are choices that are going to have consequences one way or another. Might be good consequences, might be bad consequences. But that's the question you always need to be asking yourself is, number one, uh, what is the potential outcome of this? What is the potential cost for making this decision? And who is going to pay the price? Because if you're paying the price, you have to make the decision. This is one of the things that cracks me up about on the internet, on social media, when there's plenty of men on social media that believe they have the right to make decisions for women. And yet, they're not paying my bills. They're, you know, I've never, not once in my entire life have I ever had a dude show up and pay my rent or pay my uh, utilities. I pay all of my bills, which means, guess what? No one, and I mean no one, has authority in my life. No one takes responsibility for me. I take responsibility for me. I am every single month. I pay my own um, car payment. I pay my own insurance. I pay my own rent. I pay my own um, renter's insurance. I buy all of my own food, which means no one has authority in my life. But guess what? There is a long line of men that somehow seem to believe that they should have some kind of authority in my life. They don't. And this is also why women need to be very careful because you also have to be really careful about how much authority you give someone else. And the way you give them authority is by giving away responsibility. The more responsibility someone else takes for you, the more authority it inherently gives them. One of the things that also cracks me up is how many um, grown men, sometimes women, but more often men, how many grown men live with their parents and are angry that their parents treat them like children. Okay, once again, the more responsibility someone takes for you, the more authority they have in your life. If you can't manage your own finances and if you have to declare bankruptcy, you give a lot of power and authority to the court. Okay, if you can't manage your own finances, then the court steps in and takes over. If you don't take responsibility for your children, what happens? The court steps in and they take uh, both authority, they take responsibility for your children, which gives them authority over your children. When you don't manage your own affairs, other people step in and take them over. Um, if you have uh, mental health issues and you don't take your medications or you don't manage your mental health issues, what often ends up happening? You end up sometimes going off the rails and you end up being committed to an institution because 
you did not manage your own affairs. So when you refuse to take responsibility for your life, you end up inherently giving authority over your life to other people. When people have um, uh, drug or alcohol addictions that they let get, you know, completely out of control and they end up, you know, causing other people harm or damage, what ends up happening? Sometimes they end up in court-appointed or court-ordered rehab, right? When you do not take responsibility for your life, someone else gets authority over you. One of the big problems that we have in churches is we have too many church leaders that believe that they should have the right to have authority in people's lives but they're not taking responsibility for the outcome. So this is your job. This is your, it's your responsibility to figure out what are the possible outcomes of making this decision? What is, you know, what, what is the potential cost for this decision and who is paying those costs? Because if someone else is not going to pay the cost, if someone else is not going to pay the consequences of your choice, they should not be making it for you. They can advise you, but at the end of the day, you are responsible for the choices that you make. And therefore, it is also your responsibility to pay very, very, very careful attention to who you're listening to. Okay, um, I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up there. I just want to remind you, um, I'm going to be starting a leadership blog and a podcast. It's going to be available to my Substack subscribers and also um, Patreon. One of the things that I've come to be very convinced of, I've become a big fan of the show Yellowstone. And recently I've come to understand that Yellowstone paints a very disturbing and very, very, very accurate picture of the American church. And in particular, what the American church does to women. Um, So one of the first things that I'm going to be doing on my blog and podcast is I'm going to be breaking down the TV show Yellowstone. And I'm going to show you how that show is very indicative of the church in America. What's interesting about that is some of you might be aware of Kristen Dumay. Um, she wrote Jesus and John Wayne. And so it's, I think it's also really interesting, you know, Yellowstone is obviously, you know, Montana, uh, it's kind of a Western, it's kind of a modern day Western. It's set in Montana. It's about a, a, a cattle rancher in Montana, like what you might call a dynasty family, um, in Montana. And, uh, so the, the patriarch of the family, his name is John Dutton. And it's just, it, it is just such a perfect picture of patriarchy and what it does to people. Um, and I've just really come to believe that it is, in fact, the perfect picture of the modern church. And so um, part of as I talked about earlier, you know, I started Robin Thinks as a platform for female leadership. And then as I got on social media and, you know, started trying to promote 
my originally it was a blog and then podcast I ended up in the deconstruction spaces and this is what I realized is that in order for women to be authentically female leaders we have to deconstruct everything that we've been taught about what it means to be a leader because everything that we've been taught about what it means to be a leader has come from men and so in order to lead authentically as women we have to untangle the things that we've been taught about leadership by men what is the purpose what is the point Um, what does it require what does it demand what is the goal Um, all of these things I, I think are somewhat toxic and I think part of the reason that they're so toxic is because they have been solely influenced by men's visions of all of these things Uh, all the books all the leadership books have been written by men up until very recently and by far the majority of leadership books that have been written that have been written by women are women who have had to go into a man's world and succeed which means that they've had to conform to men's ideals okay so that's what I'm going to be doing Uh, I would appreciate any support. For me, uh, this is a ministry and this is something that I really want to be doing full-time. I would like to make this a full-time ministry. And so I really need support to be able to do that. So if you can either go, I don't know if you're a reader, if you want to subscribe on Substack. My Substack is um, Robin Thinks. And uh, if you go to Patreon, it's patreon.com slash Robin Thinks. And if you could either support me on Patreon or Substack, it would be greatly appreciated. And that is where my new leadership um, blog and podcast will be. So uh, thank you so much for listening. Um, As always, if if there's any possibility, if you could please go to iTunes and leave a star rating, leave a comment, uh, that would be so appreciated. Um, there's this, there's a lot of people that are really damaged by these concepts, not just by the books, but by the concepts that um, these books are built upon. And that's what I really want to get down to is not just what are the books saying, but what are, what are the underlying constructs that are so damaging? And they're damaging to all of us. I'm not married, and I promise you I have been damaged by love and respect, by the men that have read this book and have bought into this principle because it's not it doesn't just inform how they treat their own wives it informs how they treat women in general um so that is um power and authority and next week i'm going to be tackling a really big topic which is submission so i hope you tune in for that one um and i will see you next week